Yeah, John chapter 11. Hey, while you find that, I'll tell you that last Sunday at this time, Tammy and I were in a, uh, in a house at Rosemary Beach, uh, and we stumbled onto some people who are, were performers down there at the 38 songwriter thing, and uh, we ended up, they ended up being Christians, and they were in the big house. We were in the little, little thing. We were, they were in the big house, and, um, and it ended up being like uh, Kelly, it was Kelly Pickler's husband. That's kind of wild, isn't it? <laughs> it was just a whole bunch of songwriting people, and it was, uh, it was fascinating. It was, it was pretty wild. But I know, I know. What about it? And it was hilarious, too, because, you know, I have no idea. I, I don't know what Kelly Pickler looks like. Uh, and did you know she's got a reality show, I Love Kelly Pickler? Well, two other people on the, in the reality show were in, in the room, too, and I, we didn't know who the heck they were either. But anyway, it was, kind of, it was pretty fun. All right, this is God's Word. John chapter 11, we're picking it up in uh, verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, He should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure dard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a little gift here that uh, was given to me by my mother-in-law, my dear departed mother-in-law, who is now with the Lord Jesus, Mimi. And um, this, is, this is very precious to me. Uh, Mimi was a frugal, uh, to say the least, frugal. Uh, we would go over to, you know, she lived with us for three years before she died. Some, most of you probably know that. Um, but before that, we would go over to her house and... Um, it, you know, it'd be the middle of winter, and it'd be freezing in there, and you could see your breath, and she was wearing gloves and had blankets and had a little, you know, it's like, Mimi, turn on the heat, and, but she just didn't want to spend the money on the heat. Why waste it on herself, you know? She was just so frugal, and it just killed her to spend money on anything. It just killed her, uh, and so she gets me this funky globe of the city of Chicago, and it's really cool. It's just one of these snow globe things. And you know, these were like super in a while back. You remember these? Um, and, you know, you got the Twin Towers. You got the uh, 
Hancock's Willis Tower. You got the water tower. There's even a tiny little Picasso right here. It's really cool. And when you wind it up, it's got uh, Chicago is, you know, isn't that kind of cool? Well, this thing was like $89 or something like that, which if you know her, that was like a million dollars. I mean, you. Oh, snap. Oh, gosh. Okay, well. Let me just move the electronics is all I really need to do. Hold on. Okay. All right, we're good. We're good. All right, thank you. Um, so all to say, that, that present means a lot to me. You know, I, I have it in my office at the house, and it's Chicago, and I'm from Chicago, and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I just know that it was so sacrificial. Oh, thank you. On her part, uh, she really just, she, she sacrificed. It just it meant a lot to her. Uh, she poured out a lot, all right? Oh, so in our story today, we have a woman who pours out a costly gift in her joying in Jesus, Mary of Bethany, all right? And so our uh, main idea here today is... Real devotion pours out the good stuff. Uh, And our first point here today is this, looking for Jesus. We're picking it up from last time. Thank you so much, Candace. We're picking it up from last time. Uh, We left the story with the religious leadership headed up by by the chief priest, Caiaphas, uh, plotting to put Jesus to death. Look at verse 53 of chapter 11. So from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. So very clear what the plan is. Caiaphas and the religious leadership um, wants to kill Jesus. They also want to kill Lazarus, as we saw in there, um, because he was also a problem, and, and his, his, uh, he was a living witness, a living testimony to Jesus' divine power. They wanted to put that to rest. And so Jesus and his disciples no longer walked around freely um, around Jerusalem anymore. Uh, rather, they retreated kind of uh, into the, uh, the hill country of Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim's not a city. It's an area. The, it's kind of a, a wildernessy hill country, uh, and that's where they retreated. And in verse 55, we're told that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Now, you ever heard of a harmony of the Gospels? A harmony of the Gospels? It's a, basically a, it's a book. Uh, I've got a, I've got a I think two. I think I have at least two of them, maybe one more. But I know I have two. Harmony of the Gospels, and a Harmony of the Gospel is nothing more than a book that takes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and puts it in parallel columns. And as you flip through it, you see where the where the Gospels line up. And there will be a big uh, empty chunk on one of them, and all of a sudden it'll pick up again. And uh, then you'll come to the you know the calming of the sea, and there will be all four of them. Uh, the the cursing of the fig tree, all four of them. Uh, and so you'll see how the the, the Gospels kind of talk to one another and uh, carry the story along. Well, um, we know here it says the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Many uh, went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. You know, in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says six days before the Passover. So you can tell that the Passover is coming up, but, but how much time has passed? Well, if you look at a harmony of the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, you know, Zacchaeus, the you know, wee little guy, um, Zacchaeus, it took place uh, during the time of our story. Uh, and then the point is, there was a hunk of time, perhaps several weeks, uh, that Jesus and his disciples were in Ephraim, the hill country of Ephraim. But during that time, as they kind of retreated, uh, because they were, they were trying to lay low, during that time, there was a buzz in Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem's all abuzz. It's not like Jesus was some little, little figure that slipped in and people were like, oh, who's that again? No, there was a buzz in Jerusalem. What were they saying? They're thinking, what do you think? Do you think he'll come to the feast at all? Do you think that Jesus is going to come to the Passover or not? They're talking about Jesus and where is he? You know, he's off with his disciples. There's a buzz in Jerusalem. And it is just prior to the triumphal and final entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, third and last time he goes into Jerusalem, um, which is recorded in, um, in John 12. And you can see that the stage is already set for what Jesus must accomplish on the cross. All right? And the whole intensity of the scene can be understood when you look at verse 57 of chapter 11. The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. That decree right there made everybody come to a personal decision about how they felt about Jesus. Uh, whether they believed or not, whether they would sacrifice or no, or they would turn him in or, the, or uh, protect him. Uh, and it also sets up the scene at the beginning of uh, chapter 12. Well, we can make an application for your life. You know, this little hunk of verses, you don't really know where to put it. Do you put it in the previous message? Do you tuck it away into this one uh, or, or, or what? Well, I, I, I've tucked it into this one because it's tied to the Passover, but we can apply this to our lives, folks. Um, at some point, the convenience of Jesus wears off. You can keep Jesus at bay. You can, make, you can keep him as, as a nice guy with some good moral teachings. You know, there have been a lot of moral teachers over the, over the course of uh, humanity and a lot of people who have claimed a prophetic voice, and Jesus is one of them. And uh, as long as you kind of keep him tame over there, that's great. But, you know, um, being a, say, a, a Christian uh, is believing the claims of Jesus, Right? Uh, to, to believe in Jesus is to believe the claims of Jesus. Jesus claimed that he was the Son of God. Jesus claimed that he was God himself. Jesus claimed um, that he had divine power, and not only that, he showed it. Uh, Jesus claimed that he was sent by the Father. Jesus claimed uh, that uh, he was sent to save those who believe in him. And if you don't believe in him, you won't be saved. Those are very specific claims that Jesus made. Uh, P.S., uh, all other belief systems will leave you condemned, says Jesus. Well, that, that, that brings it right to, right to the money minute, doesn't it? Um, it's kind of like this. Um, the Pharisees had given orders, if anyone knew where he was, they should let him know so that they might arrest him. Well, you know, this is a, it's a hard sell to a, to a selfish generation. It's a hard sell to a, a selfish people, uh, human beings that, um, um, that uh, you can't contribute to your own uh, outcome when it comes to God and morality and the end of this life. Um, you know, if someone kicked in your door and demanded that you make that decision, um, or you'll be arrested, is Jesus your Savior? Do you believe in this Jesus? Are you a follower of this Christ? yes you'll be arrested. No, we'll leave you be. Where would you be? Where would you stand? And listen, I'm not talking about exceptions like Nazis. You know, if Nazis uh, kicked in your door and you were hiding Jews in the basement um, and the Nazis said, are there Jews in this house? What would you say? I would say no. 
In fact, oh, I hate, I hate to even deposit this in your mind because it's going to blow your mind. But I heard R.C. Sproul say one time, <laughs> you're going to talk about this at lunch, I'm telling you. R.C. Sproul said, uh, the truth is due to, uh, we, we are to tell the truth to whom the truth is due. And you go, what? Well, it's that example. It's like a wartime example. Uh, you ever heard of an ambush at AI? Guess who orchestrated that? God. He told the Israelites to uh, send some guys around the back of AI and send some guys this way, and they tricked them. And they went out, and uh, the, the bad guys went out to fight, and they went, oh, there's guys behind us. Ah, that's called an ambush. Wartime things are different. Nazi situations are different. I think it would be a sin to say, hey, are you hiding Jews and your wife and uh, three daughters in the basement? Yes, go shoot them. Bam, 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 and they shoot you? I think that would be wrong. All right, well, I'll let you discuss that at lunch. But the point is, what, what, the point is, what would your answer be? If you had to decide between com- committing your belief system to Jesus publicly and being arrested or just being left on your way and being a part of the, the stream of things, wh- where would you be? Let me, let, let, let's make it more real. If you had to take all your things, all your money, all your stuff that's important to you, and uh, give it up for Christ, would you do it? I mean, all of it. How about your faculties? How about your good name? How, would you give it all up? You know, folks, in, in a very real way, we do that when we come to the cross, don't we? When you come to the foot of the cross, you say, Lord, I'm guilty. Um, you've got all the resources, and I've got none of the resources. You're the boss of me, and everything I have has been given to me. I mean, when you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, you do that. But practically speaking, ladies and gentlemen, that, that's not a bad recipe to go through your life thinking, would I give up everything for this Christ? Would I give up my good reputation for this Christ? Would I give up my comforts for this Christ? Um, th- that's what these people are. That's what these people had to do. And and what, what, the answer tells a lot. We'll explore it more in our next point. Let's let, let's move on. We'll, we'll keep talking about this. Um, next point is um, devotion in action. Look at verse uh, one of six, of chapter twelve. Six days before the Passover, <clears throat> Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, there are parallel accounts of, of this in uh, Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. Um, parallel accounts of the same thing. Now, Mar- Mary of Bethany's uh, not named, um, but there's parallel accounts. And then there's one confusing account that people often look at and they go, wait a second, is this the same person? There's, you know, there's, there's Mary, Jesus' mom, there's Mary of Bethany, there's Mary Magdalene. Um, and so people often confuse those. In Luke 7, don't turn, but in Luke 7, it says that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with them. He went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she was, learned that he was reclining at a table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with oil. The Pharisees saw this and they go, ah, what kind of woman is this? She's a sinner and so on. Um, and and uh, there's this, this beautiful scene um, where, where Jesus is, is kind to her. And uh, he, he says, uh, he says um, uh, therefore I tell you, her sins, are, which are many, are forgiven. Um, that is not the same scene. 
That is not a parallel passage. If you look at the harmony, the harmony of the Gospels, that will not be in it. Oops. That will not be in it. It's a different person. It's a different Mary, all right, or at least a different person. So you, you get it? Um, this is not that same scene, but there are parallel scenes, okay? Um, but perhaps the story was known well enough where this Mary, Mary of Bethany, um, did something similar. Or maybe she just did it. I mean, anointing people with oil was a very common thing. Um, this was a time, you know, Jesus had one pair of clothes, probably. Uh, this was a time when people, they didn't take baths daily or even weekly. I mean, there were a little touch-up here and there in the river, uh, but there's not like running hot water and, and soap and bubbles everywhere. Uh, it was a different kind of day, and it was a day when there was no arid extra dry. And so um, when people would come into somebody's house, their feet were dirty from journeying. Uh, There was uh, plenty of uh, human uh, olfactory uh, situations all over the place. And so you'd come into somebody's house, and they would anoint your head with oil, and it would smell nice, and that was a part of things. And that's why foot washing was so big and all that stuff. But whatever the case, what we see here in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John is this extravagant uh, gesture. It's sacrificial, it's humble in its expression, it's demonstration of love, and uh, my point in, in bringing up this, this parallel thing is that we're told in Matthew and Mark's account that this event took place in the home of Simon the leper. Now, yes, Martha is serving, but it's not taking place at Martha and Mary and Lazarus' house in Bethany, it's taking place in the home of Simon the leper. And by the way, Simon the leper, just the very the title, uh, implies that Simon had been healed by Jesus. And so you've got a follower of Jesus, Simon, the former leper, is hosting this thing, and they're in his house, and uh, in verse 2 it says they served a dinner for him there, Martha served, Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And I think you probably know that that's how they uh, ate back then. They reclined at a table. If you've ever been to like uh, Sekasui uh, uh, and you sat on the floor, you ever done that? S- sitting on the floor at Sekasui? I can't do it anymore because I can't get up. But uh, you ever done that where the table's this high, you're sitting on the floor? That's, that's how it was. They would re- recline uh, on the floor and lean up against each other. It was very social and, and kind of beautiful, actually, I think. They would lean up against each other and recline and eat, and that was, that was how they did it. And so, and by the way, <laughs> I was laughing about this when I was writing this. You remember seeing the movie The Passion of the Christ? Um, and Jesus is a carpenter, and you know, one of the things they do is they, they, ha- they show Jesus inventing the table. You remember that? He invents the table with long legs, and Mary, his mother's like, Jesus, what's this? You use stools, you use chairs. You remember that? Okay, well, it was just totally ridiculous. But, um, but <laughs> they have Jesus invent the kitchen table. Anyway... That's not how they did it. That's not how they did it. They reclined on the floor. They reclined on the ground. It was very social and cozy and intimate and so on. And so um, in verse 3, it says that Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, spike nerd, <coughs> and um, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. First off, <coughs> we're told in Mark and Matthew's report, that, um, uh, sh- that uh, she poured it on Jesus' hair. Here it says she poured it on his feet. Um, how can you reconcile that? Let me ask you that. How, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I did both. You have different writers reporting f- from a different perspective. She poured it on his hair. She poured it on his feet. 
Two guys go, yeah, she poured it on his hair, and somebody else thought it was um, noteworthy that she put it on his feet, and so on. But the big point is this. Um, The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I bet it was. Um, You know, stuff in that family, I've got some beard oil made from oud. You ever heard of oud? Man, when I put it on. Yeah, food, yes. <laughs> it's, it's oud and food. <laughs> smells like ranch dressing. <clears throat> but um, at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll kind of move and I'll go, man, I still smell great. <clears throat> the oud smells awesome. Well, Spikner does like that. Very pungent. Poured out his feet, not just a little bit, not just a dot, <clears throat> but spilled out. Plus, Jesus is barefoot, tromping around the house. I bet the whole place smelled awesome. Um, what was that? It was poured out liberally on Jesus' feet. Um, in fact, um, in Mark's account, it says that she broke the flask. And here's how Jesus interpreted her actions. Um, in Mark chapter 14, verse 8, he says this. She has anointed my body before burial. That's how Jesus saw it. He knew it was coming. And a lot of people think, oh, well, this Mary really understood what was going to happen, and maybe she did. Maybe she was deserting and so on. <coughs> but the point is, thank you, Richard. I'll go ahead and spill it right away. <coughs> Excuse me. But the point is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> uh, the point is, that she makes this extravagant gift uh, to, to Jesus, and he realizes that it's a part of his being anointed. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you this, and I really am asking the room. I'm opening up the room. What are some characteristics of this gift to Jesus? What are some char- what, 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 what are characteristics of it? What kind of gift is it? It's what? Extravagant. What else? Loving. What would you say, Howard? Financial, yes, costly. What else? Devotion, it was devoted. Anybody else? What was that? Respectful, absolutely. And we could go on and on and on, but I mean, that's, that's a good lesson, isn't it? In fact, I think it's a Mark's, thank you so much. I think it's Mark's account, thank you, Richard, that, uh, where he says um, th- this is going to be recorded and this story is going to be told and told and told and told. And it's being told, isn't it? And it's being told as a, a lesson to us. Now, you remember, I said that this took place in the home of Simon the leper. And, uh, you know, I've not seen this in a single book. I've never heard anybody preach or say it before. But uh, it dawned on me, for her to do this thing, it's not like she just went into her bedroom and got the stuff out. They're in a different house. That means it was premeditated. She brought it with her. Isn't that something? She brought it with her. She traveled with it. She intended to do a thing, and she did a thing. It wasn't some spontaneous little reckless, oh, you know what, you're awesome, bleh. No buyer's remorse, you know, no, no gifter's remorse. She planned it. It was premeditated. Um, I would say that that is a devotion that exists already, and it's a lesson for us that we are to live lives that are devoted, lives that are filled with devotion, lives that um, are thinking of Jesus all the time. 
Um, our service to Jesus isn't to be an afterthought. Our love for Jesus isn't to be an afterthought. Um, you know, my little, um, not little, uh, he's a grown man, he's, but he's, it, my, my uh, uh, tech nerd, Jason Rickenbacker, who mixes sound here half the time and then does all the computer support in the church the other half of the time. That's his gig. He proposed he's going to get married to Anna Hedgepeth. That kind of cool? So Jason Rickenbacker, Anna Hedgepeth are going to get married in June. <clears throat> and, you know, it's just such a happy scene. You know, when, when somebody, when you proposed, think back all those years ago, you know, when a man proposes to a woman, he's pretty darn sure she's going to say yes. And she's pretty darn sure that it's probably going to happen anytime soon. You know, I mean, it's, you, you've talked about it. Uh, you, you know, you, you don't want to step in it. You know, like at a football game where, you know, she says no and she runs out and you, you know, it's, your life is ruined. Uh, you're pretty sure she's going to say yes. She's sure you're going to ask, uh, yes, yes, will you marry me? You know, basically the question is, will you spend the rest of your life with me and, and, and entwine everything about who you are with my life? I mean, that's a pretty big question. And, but when she says yes and he asks and yes, yes, do you remember the two weeks after that where you're like floating around? remember that? You're just floating around, and everything's different. Even dudes. I've said this before. In fact, I said this at rehearsal. Only when a man is engaged will he let a woman jump on his back like he's going horseback riding, like she's going horseback riding, and get their picture taken on Beale Street with people watching. You know, that's the only time in his life that that's going to happen. Hey, jump on his back. Okay. <laughs> Please along. That, that, after that, it's over. But that first two weeks, it's just so joyous, and, and you're just... You knew she was going to say yes, but when she says yes, I'll spend my whole life with you? Well, man, that is profound. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I need to say to you. Do you realize, I think you people who have been married a long time do realize, that that attitude is uh, what makes your marriage healthy if you just do that all the time? Where uh, if she's on the front of your mind all the time, and where is she now, and what's she doing now, and how was her lunch, and how was her day, and, and uh, what did she experience, and can't wait to talk about it, and can't wait till we get some FaceTime, and you know, excited to see her. I mean, that, it's, it's not an afterthought. It's, it's on the front of your mind, and I'm saying that that's what devotion looks like. That's what devotion to Jesus looks like, and that's the lesson we can learn from Mary of Bethany. It's premeditated. She was already devoted to Jesus and then she carried out this act of devotion. All right, we've got to move on quick. Um, uh, rebuke and perspective. We're in the home stretch here. Uh, verse 12 and 4 and following, it says, But Judas, uh, one of his disciples who was about to tra- betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? <clears throat> well, that's a question our culture might ask. Um, in fact, it's a question you might ask yourself. I remember a guy back 20 years ago or so in our college ministry was very, 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 very upset at Germantown Baptist because they spent $200,000 on a steeple. And he just thought it was so terrible that they would spend all that money on a steeple uh, when it could be given away to the poor. It's the same argument. Um, but, you know, have you read Exodus, like 26 through 30, when uh, they're... they're uh, given instructions about building the tabernacle, it's extravagant. You know why? Because God is worth it. It's worth, he's worth it. Uh, God seems to have no problem with extravagance poured out in worship uh, of him. And it's not because he's egotistical, it's because he's worthy. And the best thing a created thing can do is honor the creator. And by the way, 
Um, Judas was not exactly alone in his critique. If you read the other accounts, the other disciples are doing the same thing. They're going, hey, yeah, shouldn't we give some money to the poor? And uh, what are we doing now? Why, why let's pour it out on Jesus? I mean, that, that could be given away. Um, <clears throat> but we're giving the reader's edge. We really know Judas's motive in verse 5. It says, uh, verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. All right, so now we have the reader's edge. We see Ju- Judas's real um, perspective. But then notice what Jesus does to it all. He says in verse 7, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus is not indifferent to the poor. Never was he indifferent to the poor throughout his entire ministry. Never. But he does realize, as one writer said, I rather liked it, he said, Jesus was the hinge of history. You know, he was on the, the, the hinge of history, and he was the hinge of history. He understood this. Jesus' reference to the poor, um, uh, coupled with um, the, uh, the uh, frequent discussion of the poor and needy, implies that he thought that the, the loving of the poor should continue, but uh, he is also quite aware that he is about to die for the sins of the world. You know, folks, I've freaked out many a room full of people by saying something like this. You should see them. Jaws drop, depending on, depending on the denomination of people that's out there. But jaws will drop when you say the primary reason for evangelism is not to save sinners. People go, oh, what? How dare you? No, the primary reason for evangelism is not to save sinners. The primary reason for evangelism is to glorify God. The primary reason for everything is to glorify God. Now, are we supposed to evangelize? Yes. We're in the, we're in the help for the needy world business. We're sent out into this world to be salt and light. But the, but the reason we do it, ultimately, is for God's glory first. You get that order right, and everything changes. Application for your life. Apply that to your work. Apply that uh, to your parenting. Apply that to your use of time. Apply that to your use of resources. Apply that to your intellect. Apply that to being a neighbor. Apply that to being a friend or a, a son or a daughter or a spouse. Apply that. God's glory is foremost. Now, Tammy's at the coffee bar, so she's already gone. But um, one of the kindest things I ever said to the single adult ministry was this, that Tammy Umloff is the second best thing ever to happen to me. And, uh, you know, the girls would go, oh, second. <laughs> yeah, salvation in Jesus Christ is number one. The glory of God is number one. You know, do you think that Tammy would be happier if I loved her with my interpretation of what love is or if I loved her with God's interpretation of what love is? Which do you think is better for her? A man who submits to this book. A man who submits to this God. Not, hey, baby, I've cooked up some wonderful things that I think will satisfy your soul. No, I am, I am, I am humbly submitting to God, seeking his glory in the way I love her. At least, I mean, that sounds noble. I, I blow it all the time. But, but you see what I'm, my point is? That God's glory is foremost. That's another lesson we learn uh, from this. All right. Last point, uh, curiosity and ferocity. Uh, verse 9, 
Uh, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death too, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now we also get a hint of Lazarus' devotion. When he's reclining at someone's house at a party for Jesus in Bethany, which is just a couple miles away from Jerusalem, all their lives were in danger too. Lazarus in particular, they wanted to kill him also. Um, you know, I'll, I'll close this way. Um, Joey, uh, was Joey in here still? Yeah, there he is. Joey and I have talked about this. You know, he's funny, isn't he? Funny guy. Uh, funny, smart, funny guy, middle-aged. Look at him, middle-aged. got some <laughs> little gray in his show business hair. Um, and one of the things we talk about, we'll go, man, what a great time to be a white, funny Christian man. What a wonderful existence it is with all of our jokes. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, you got to navigate all this kind of stuff. Have you noticed, ladies and gentlemen, the building hostility toward Christianity uh, in, this, in this country and in this world, but in this country? I mean, growing. Have you heard, did you hear the Lady Gaga thing talking about Mike Pence's wife? She's on stage talking about Mike Pence's wife and how horrible it is that she would teach at a school and uh, LGBT, blah, 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 blah. I mean, Christianity is under severe attack. I'm telling you, you let it incubate for 10 or 20 or 30 more years, and it's going to get hard to be a believer, man. I'm telling you, you watch. It's going to get harder and harder and harder. And all the comfort of being in this kind of like Christian majority and this Christian nature with these Puritan moorings and this, you know, family system and all that stuff. I mean, our t- staff talks about, all the, about it all the time. You ever heard of digisexuals? You ever heard of that? I'm telling you, in 20 years, you're going to be able to marry your dog. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. Hey, you know what I said about 10 years ago to you? I got to go. 10 years ago, I said, um, um, a day is going to come when you pastor a church and 50% of the people in the room will have been in a uh, same-sex relationship at some point in their life. And 10 years ago, everybody goes, come on. You think think I'm right? I bloody well am. Uh, Things keep going like they're going to go. It's tough out there. All to say, real devotion pours out the good stuff. Real devotion comes to the Savior's feet and says, you know what? I will associate myself with you. I will call myself a Christian. I will name the name of Jesus. I will fall at your feet, and I will take all my good stuff and pour it out. And that's the lesson we learn from Mary of Bethany. Let us pray. Lord, help us. It is a hard land. Uh, We are a hardened, stiff-necked people. I am. Um, bring us closer to you, Lord. Open up the eyes of our hearts that we might understand what is your good and pleasing and perfect will. All for Christ's glory. Help us pour out the good stuff. Amen. Thanks, y'all.